Welcome to the Strange Brew podcast. From Liverpool, we've just been hearing Focal Point and Sycamore Sid. And uh, the Strange Brew, we've got the privilege today to have in the presence of us two members of Focal Point who were an integral part of the Apple story, really. So say hi to Tim Wells, who was the keyboardist from the band. Hi there. And we've also got Dave Slater, who was the fantastic bassist in the group. Hello. And so we've been hearing Sycamore Sid by the group, which in many ways, although it was the B-side to their single, Love You Forever, Sycamore Sid is probably the best-known song by the band. So, Dave, why was it that Sycamore Sid is probably the track that people remember Focal Point by? Well, it surprised me initially because we recorded it back in 68, Decca, and we never imagined it in 2011. Playing it live. Still be played on the internet and on radio. Basically, the song came out as a number of compilation albums through the years that we were not uh, aware of until the 2000. And around 2001, somebody mentioned to us that so sick of similar your numbers is out on an album. Which one of the DMDs, I think it was called. And then we found out it was on about six or seven other albums as well. And from there, that a record called Kiss and Spell asked us to put out an album not on the material. And so, really, we've got this song to thank for. While we're here today, both points are still being played. For many years, people thought it was a song written about uh, Sid Barris, Pink Floyd, and it went into a couple of the biographies of uh, Sid Barris. 
with that in mind, but actually, in actual fact, it wasn't. It was written about John Naylor, who had this tree house in Manchester, and he lived in this chair for some time, and that's what really inspired the song itself. We're now going back a few years into the early to mid-60s, and we'll be hearing a song by the Masterminds, a track called Taken My Love, which was a B-side to their immediate single, She Belongs to Me. Dave, what is the significance of the Masterminds in the Focal Point story? Well, the significance is that uh, Joey Molland was a member of the Masterminds, and then Joey went into Badfinger, if you recall, who was signed up to her. But in addition to that, I used to work in a shipping office, my first job, and uh, I used to go along to the cabin lunchtime sessions, and the Masterminds would be there very regularly playing. And it was one of the first bands really I enjoyed listening to. I've got them away to go see these guys, but I thought it was a really good time. I, I was in touch with, with uh, Joey Molland a few years, many years ago now, by email, and he said, oh, I said, I told him, I said, my first job at the shipping office is going about five quid a week, but I spent half, half the time watching you and the other bands at the Traverse, and I was um, invited to leave the, the job as a result of that. And what he said was, did you have any photographs of that period? Yeah. Era? And of course, in those days, he didn't have digital cameras. Yeah, yeah. In books, Kodak cameras, so I have none. So he, you know, he, well, first in the early days, there weren't that many photographs taken.
next we've got the original demo of Missing Claire by Bubblebond. So guys, can you tell me a little bit more about this track? Beatles have this idea of let's sign up salt, even though not necessarily commercial, but we like it beside of Yeah. Well, Dave initially introduced themselves to Bob McCarthy at the bar. He gave them an invitation to go see Terry Dora. And so Terry Dora, he auditioned in his office. They literally went along in his office, two guitars, and they sang all songs for him. Miss Sinclair is one of the first songs that we heard for the day. Yeah. And um, so they went back to Old Blue, said they had the Barley's. I played here in a band called The Top, the 149 Club. We were here one night playing, and it was Tim, Tim and I were playing. We'd been playing this as childhood days together. Cool. We were playing here one night, and uh, we were approached by these two guys, and one of them had like a calf set on. I thought, well, it's really weird. I mean, it didn't. I heard of it, the, the flower power stuff on that. It hadn't reached Liverpool at the time. We were very much a Motown type band, and James Jameson was my, one of my heroes, and that's why I used to listen to all the time. But here, this guy turned up with a, a smaller guy with him who was quieter. They introduced himself to Paul Tennant and Dave Rhodes, and they said, We've got a songwriting deal at Apple, and we're looking for, excuse me, a band. Brian Epstein wants to form a band. They just went down to the songwriting duo, and he wants to call a band Folk with Boys, and we'd like each to play with us. And so I thought about it for about two seconds, because obviously Beatles, and, and so I said, Yep. Yeah, Okay, we'll do that. So, we played a gig, and I think within a couple of days, we're on the train to London. That's where we got signed up. We went to Apple in Baker Street, and um, oh, by that time, sorry, Ted Hesketh had joined us. And Ted was in a band called the Maracas Liverpool, a fantastic drummer. And I'm still in touch with Ted to this day. He lives in Canada now. So there was Ted, who I hadn't met at that time. New piece of the band was here before I was from FM at Mice. And uh, Dave Rose would play rhythm guitar. Paul was playing the uh, lead. So there was me on bass, Tim on keyboards, and then Ted would join us on drums a bit later. So we can quit the top, went with them, then we moved down to London area. We'll put you in our demo studio. The top floor of Baker Street was uh, was kitted out as a demo studio, and you had put down acetates as they were then. Bear in mind, you had four shock machines then, I think. Still Lloyd shock machines. So we all went down there, and my, my first impressions were there's this guy, he looked like Bob Dylan-style her of the 60s, in a lime green suit. And a uh, very bouncy, bubbly, and the apple, all I remember is just the leather, white leather everywhere. Flush carpeting, seats, uh, leather. No expense spares. No expense spared. It was a very luxurious place. That's how it appeared to me. This is my first, so, you know, my first trip. It's uh, a beautiful world that I'm not quite the experience for us all. So we, we, we moved, and the mother happened then. We put on a, what they called a retainer. We weren't paid a salary as such, but we were paid expenses. So for instance, the rent the house floor was down there, Apple did. Yeah. And Whistler, a place called Whistler Street in the north of London, I think it was. Yeah. And uh, we all moved down there. That was the five of us, plus a roadie. Like five fellas in a little house together. We had a good time. We enjoyed it. Apple paid the rent on the property. Did that. We did starve. This is why I packed it to Babs. I mean, if I have a goal was great. That they were down there just after us. They yeah. all the Ivies. Yeah. We were the first battle signs. People say, well, you know, I don't remember Phil Boyd, but I remember yeah, or the Ivies. But what actually happened was, yes, we were not signed to Apple record label. They didn't have it then. Yeah. It was absolutely literally the beginnings. And we, we were the first band assigned to Apple publishing. Following off of that came Grapefruit, but that's another story. And then Ivies as well. Miss Sinclair is one of those songs we heard. Our first time was supposed She leave him sitting waiting in the parlor Wondering what he's gonna say and do He 
talking in the kitchen with your mother, he loves you. He's sitting there waiting for the moment. He's got to ask your mom for your hand. Imagining the big white wedding, oh so grand. Miss Sinclair's courtship is happy. She has it made. She loves him madly. Be his slave. Miss Sinclair's courtship is happy. She has it made. She loves him madly. Be his slave. She thinks of him. When she wakes in the morning, she calls him up every Monday night. She buys him little gifts when she's got money. That's all right. Miss Sinclair's courtship is happy. Has it made? She loves him madly. Be his slave. Now she swore that she'd love him forever. Nothing else could make her change her mind. She loves him now more than ever. Love is blind. Miss Sinclair's courtship is happy. She has it made. She loves him madly. Be his slave. Miss Sinclair's courtship is happy. She has it made. She loves him madly. Be his slave. So that was the 1967 original demo of Miss Sinclair by Purple Point, and now we've got. The Four Pennies with Juliet. So, um, Tim, what's the significance of The Four Pennies and Juliet? Lionel Bort produced uh, well, a lot of Yeah, he was, um, I mean, his claim to fame, Lionel, was that he co-wrote uh, Juliet, which was a massive hit for The Four Pennies, his band, back in 1964. So he was very well known. He'd been working in the West End as well since then. I think then he went on to do Play School or, or BBC TV. And so Lionel was assigned to work with us. He was employed by us to work with us. Shop there on him, we got to work very well. Lionel was brought in as our producer, and so we literally spent from about midday, maybe before that, to the early hours of the morning, we'd be housed to the top of the Apple building, putting down all this material that Paul and Dave had written. Bear in mind, at that point, all Apple had to remember was about four or five songs, uh, and they did acoustics, acoustic versions of them. They gave me a copy of the songs to, to learn the parts. The songs they had then were, the first ones I remember, a song called Tales from the GPO Files, Miss Sinclair might have been in amongst them as well. Joe on the call. So they were the first ones we put down with the band. I, all I remember is that that was the light really then. We'd finish late into the evening and then we'd go out to one of the local clubs. This is all in Paul's book, this really. This is, yeah. We'd go out to the, the, where it all starts, hung out then, you know. It was all great. It was a, it was a really great seat. Rolling Stones, people like, people walk around then, Apple, people are walking to Apple's offices and like the Beatles were being announced for starters. And that's how we got to see that. Like Big Jagger would call it in or... And also that building was um, Robert Stigwood's organisation. 
They were like then. Yeah. Publisher called Chatley yeah. Music. It was Cream and um, the Bee Gees on that label. So they would be in and out. So here's The Four Pennies and Juliet. <laughs> with Juliet, a number one hit featuring Lionel Morton, who was uh, one of the producers of Focal Point and Four Pennies from 1964. Now we've got another producer connection, and we're going one year ahead of Four Pennies, 1965, and a song that didn't get to number one in the charts. This was the Pete Best combo with The Way I Feel About You. So guys, what was the producer connection with the Pete Best combo? Pete Best combo, basically at the Ike Vickerson. And Wayne Vickerson, coincidentally, Liverpool lad, was also an engineer at Decca. We went there to record Second World Sid, and um, we produced our tracks for us at Decca. The best combo, he joined them on bass. They went to America. It didn't work out very well, I don't think. And at that point, things Wayne Bickerson decided he'd prefer life on the other side of the desk, really, as opposed to be kind of studio. Went down to London, became a staff engineer at Decca, and then he became a producer. That's how we met him, because... Our record deal was for Decca, or the Apple publisher banner, and made the demos. Then what the Apple would do, say Dora would do, is just take it round or the thing around the various record companies. And we did about four songs, I think, it was that uh, we were living down there, that we stayed down there, did it, the recordings, came back to Liverpool, and then waited. And then we got a contact from Terry Dora, or a bit later, saying, uh, right, there are four major companies that want to sign you up. 
decking out this subsidiary DRAM, but still a fairly new label. The deal was probably down to them all up to the best deal of the lot. So we said we signed with them. Apple left it to us to decide who we went with. So next we'll be hearing the best combo and the way I feel about you. Focal point with Fiona McConnell in 1968. So what was the significance? Basically, Jason's one of my favourite tracks that we ever recorded. It's one of the four songs we did at the Decker Studio that day. It never saw the light of day until first bike came out in 2005. It's always been a favourite of mine. Listen to this today. Great song, great little pop song. Just studio time in uh, Decker's older two studios. Just studio that the Rolling Stones were using regularly there, among other artists. And uh, we recorded books as a couple of days, I think. And over a two-day period, we, we recorded before Solders. Uh, Sigamore said, lucky forever, go on the corner, and never never. And then it was left to the Decker Committee to decide what would go out as a single. And they decided, lucky forever, the ballad from Zinnigoroth, the single. Now, we got told then, and then Radio 1 had just started. It was that it hadn't been outlawed or hadn't been broadcasting for long. We were told it would be first played on the Alan Freeman show. I think about five o'clock to get prime time, radio time then. And we were actually living in London then because we had to go and do, um, before they came out, so we had to do a, a special show for the press or the media, music media. Yeah. In uh, the West End. And all we had to do, really. We went to the Apple basements at the boutique and we just chose the clothes we wanted. They then sent us to Fox and the Amplifier Company uh, with Stain to Middlesex here to choose what we wanted for our gate, what we recording, what we wanted to use. We didn't touch a panic. I remember when I was choosing with clothes and it was see Rio was there with his wife, Morning, and they were there chatting to me. I thought, this is, you know, we're in the big time, man. Did the show in the West End. And we did the publicity photographs. There's a few paid off first price of four or five, three or four. But uh, I'm wearing a shirt that I borrowed from Sam. I didn't even have a shirt to wear at the time. So I borrowed that shirt from Sam. We did the, the, the uh, photographic sessions. And then when we did this West End gig, um, I remember going into the um, reception area 
and there were like life-size photographs of us on the wall. You could be forgiven for thinking you're in the Bhutan. You could be forgiven for thinking, I don't need to do anything else now. We're here. Yeah. Just to take care of itself. Wrong. First big, big mistake. But when you're 17, 18, 17, you don't think about these things. Read it. And so we thought, we'll sit back now. We'll, we'll let it all happen. And of course, that was the biggest mistake we could have made. We didn't play live down there. Unbelievable. I was there. And because of the time, Apple started to lose interest. And we needed them as an agency. We needed somebody to actually agency to get us the gigs. And to be quite honest with you, we were having a good time anyway. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, we were the record was out. We were at Apple every day, bumping into people. And we spent an evening at John Lennon's house uh, initially. We met them all. And, and it was just, just a good time. We didn't feel we needed to do anything else. It would take care of itself. And we play as and when the live, as and when the time came. And it never came. for one of the favourite tracks here by Tim and Dave. So the next song is Elevator, a song by Grapefruit, released in 1968 on RCA. So what's the relevance of Grapefruit to the focal point story? Relevance is that we were the first band signed to Apple. Grapefruit came along a little after ourselves that were signed up to Apple. But basically what happened was when Grapefruit arrived, we were sort of shunted sidelines to a degree. Terry Doran lost interest. That was a band that John Lennon particularly took to. He liked us, he liked some of the souls we were doing, and it was thanks to him and Epstein himself, we got signed up. Paul pointed 
the songwriters Paul and Dave in the direction of Apple, in the direction of Terry Doran. Before Apple was signing you up in those days, the early days, two people as a group of six had to agree that they wanted you to sign up. Yeah. The Beatles, any one of the Beatles, Epstein or Terry Doran. It was Epstein and, and, and Joe Lennon who wrote particularly like the music. Some of the more, like the Accept Me, things like that, which were a little bit, um, that was the best that he liked, particularly. And that's how we got published and deal with that. So we did this, so we had that, uh, did this one off uh, for the press, did radio broadcasts as well, interviews. And then we thought, that's it, we've made it now, we're in the West End, and we've gone in now. Then after the, after we did our gig there, we went out to the West End, moved clubs, and again, paid for by Apple. Didn't have to worry about money, it just seemed so paying. And, you know, you thought that was a lot of trouble. But I, when I remember Apple was really those days, it was just like money was no object. No, no object. I remember the comings and goings, Peter. And, you know, the Beatles were being an out, but they really didn't show much interest in the business. They're not business people. And I remember but I remember one day, we were down in the office area. So you had the, on the top floor, you had the studio where we more or lived almost. The downstairs you had on the first floor, on the ground floor, you had the admin the offices, which took all, all the Apple business. They didn't have the Apple row offices then. In the basement, you had this, this particular facade. I remember one day we were downstairs, about, we were talking to one of the guys there, which was one of the, the head of one department. He got a phone call and um, he said, um, and he just puts the phone down and shouts to people, quick, look busy, the boss is on the phone. And I'm looking at him thinking, who's the boss? That's where the Paul McCartney looks in behind us. And I remember Paul's face had a stern look on his face. And at that time, he wasn't happy with the way Apple would be rolled. And at that time, he was in dispute. He wanted his East Coast family, yeah, because he was there with Linda. Yeah. And they must have inclined. And, and that didn't help our situation or anybody's situation at Apple. Yeah, we were imploding at the time. And we were going up to, with the, we didn't go up to anyway. Yeah. There's no question about So here's Elevator by Great Group.
Grapefruit and Elevator. And now we've got another Apple-linked act, Jackie Lomax with Little Yellow Pills. So, Tim, what's the significance of Little Yellow Pills or Jackie Lomax in regard to the focal point story? Well, actually, a couple of us were actually playing Coded It, Sam, the Blin Johns music. It's a bit of a bittersweet thing, really, because uh, Dave could play bass on this because Klaus Vorman was there playing bass. So I was really what my I had to sit, sit the session out watching them play with Klaus Vorman. I couldn't really argue about that without the side. <laughs> but, uh, it was a good experience. So here's Little Yellow Pills by Jackie Lomitz. says I'm very ill He's feeding me little yellow pills for my heart And it's a shame, shame, shame My temperature's 102 And the doctor don't think I'm gonna pull through But there's nothing he can do without you a shame, shame, shame. Oh, it's a shame, shame, shame. I'm wasting away to nothing, and I ain't got no will to try. But if you don't come home running, I swear I'm gonna die. It's a dog on.
Although we ended up, when Apple decided that enough's enough, they would start to implode anyway. We moved out of that place over to Dulwich in a place called Lord Chippelade. At that point, the money had dried up and we were literally living off next to nothing. And I was just literally living off meal. I would be a poached egg on toast every day. And that was my all I had. So you were kind of left hanging on, hoping that, yeah, we were uh, Apple and we'd, we'd, we'd left Apple and they'd, they'd, they'd pass away to them. And it was just like, it, it just crept upon us, really. And I'm thinking about it, and we didn't really do anything to push ourselves. We got swept up in this, um, say, everything's going to take care of itself because we're surrounded by them all. Beatles, people, the, the whole bis, the pubs of an evening. Uh, no worries about uh, money, no worries about where the next meal was coming from, where we were living. All our instruments were there, paid for by a courtesy of app. You think the fact that records didn't come out on the label itself? Apple didn't have the label. Right, okay. Yeah, that could have been something to do with it. Cause it, it wasn't obviously linked to the Beatles. You just have a record by Focal Point on DRAM. The only reason you'd know it was an Apple connection, which is the Apple publishing on the list. Grapefruit ads, they had Elevator, but they didn't have many notes themselves, even though they had they didn't. pretty good songwriting. And again, they never reached their full potential. But they got even more of a boost than we got. Yeah. But the songs were, at the time, the songs, our stuff was really, their songs were a more commercial age. The one product that sold the best for them was called Marianne, which was a full song. Oh, yeah. Song. yeah. It, it wasn't more than an original song. You know, I thought they wrote some Hullaby and Elevator. There was some great stuff. Great. I've got to say that. They went out on RCA. Yeah. Well, we went out on Decca. They went out on RCA. But it was only a little bit later that Apple was full, but you had Badfinger. Ivy's became Badfinger. We worked for Jackie Lomax. Mary Hopkins was signed up for the label. James Taylor. So next we've got another Focal Point track, by the way, from Forever, that I don't think saw the light of day until the first bite of the Apple CD. So um, why pick this particular track, guys? For me, it was uh, really epitomised. Band about in 67, 68. Psychedelic track. It captures the mood, the time, and it captures the Focal Point sound.
we were going back from London and uh, literally penniless since 69, I think it was, and um, the record did nothing. Apple then decided, we'll pass it the ways. The time the Beatles were sold, but started to prod anyway. Time came in just after us, but it was still, even at that point, hemorrhaging money. We were on the axe to go. Came back, but we stopped off at McCartney's house then on the way back there, and um, rang the intercom and said, Paul, you know, what do you suggest we do now? You know, we've... He said, just go back to Liverpool, I live on Ambrosia, fuck if to rice. Thing and write 10 songs to come back to me. I thought, well, thanks for that. <laughs> I don't know you are anyway. That was it. Got lazy down there. We weren't producing new songs, really, at the way we should have been. And so we came back. But I had been living literally on practically an egg a day. This was all I had. And so I managed to sit there and I was um, prone to catch illness. I got an infection in the blood. I was very, very ill. And my face swelled up. But I came back in. Ginny looked after me and my banana and um, got back into health again. But then I was just, I had nothing to do. It was, it was just really lethargic for quite some time after it. We were going our separate ways. Paul and I were still together, but we hadn't started to play again. And we did a bit later on. Only double header of the Vocal Point show is two tracks by Paul McCartney, Math and My Dear, and then we'll be going into Let Them In by Wings. But the first track we'll play, Math and My Dear, has a particular significance for Vocal Point. Um, so, Tim, you, you know a little bit about Math. Because that was the Paul McCartney sheepdog, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. That's when they were both first uh, accosted for Hyde Park. He was actually walking out there at the time, so that's where that comes in. Well, when we got back to Liverpool, Martha came back into our lives again. Uh, when we lived next to Paul's auntie Ginny, Paul had uh, split with the Beatles and formed Wings. And it was his first European tour. And I think you know, but that bus he travelled around the continents. And he left his, his dogs with me for a couple of weeks. So I looked after them, walked, fed them, watered them. And Martha was one of the dogs. So she's featured in the Focal Point story more than once. And the uh, letter in by Wings has got the significance because um, that track mentions Auntie Ginny. And you... That's right, Auntie Ginny was uh, Paul's Auntie Ginny. But we called Auntie Ginny. We were related to the Cartneys and back through marriage. And we all referred to her as Auntie Ginny. We had two Auntie Ginny, Auntie, Ginny, Auntie Millie. But after I got back from London, I'd go into Ginny's every day, and she said to tell me about Paul's latest, the latest, and they said, "Well, John, here's a copy of the new album. It's not out yet, and this is a new single. It's not out yet, and there'll be digital vinyl, red vinyl copies of records which I didn't, I'd never seen before." I thought well, that's interesting, but she was very matter of fact. I always remember in the living room on her wall was a painting of John Lennon's. As far as you can, John just gave it to her, and then it takes up a bit of wall space. It meant nothing more than that. Still play 
We came back to Liverpool, and it's only at that point we started to play. Really started yeah. to play live stuff because we had to get back and play and get some money in again. And so that's really the band started to take on a live format, uh, which, which was quite strange, really, when you think about it. After the events, as it were, but Ted the drummer left us to go and join the Mersey Beats. Dave Rhodes then left from a band called White Summit, and then Tim joined him in that band, and I was just left myself and Paul really. And um, we got another, we got a drummer in. I forget who else we got it, but we we, we formed a, a, a four piece cool set. We went out there and just played the clubs in Liverpool for a while, and then that sort of started to fall apart. As it were, we weren't getting anywhere. Bearing in mind, you think about it, it was 
we go from potentially we've, yeah. we've seen over that hill potential what could have been and we were back in Liverpool playing the club we played I'd played before I ever met Paul and focal point you know so it wasn't really enthusiasm wasn't there for to be honest with you but the enthusiasm of writing songs was there I was supposed to sign at that point well the band started to um, did it for about a year then came to a halt and then continued to write we signed up to Wayne Bixon as songwriters and then basically the deal was he would pay for all studio time. We were working in Manchester Studios, called the stuff there. Tim would still come and join us on keyboards. We get different singers from time to time. Eddie Cave sang with us at uh, the studio sessions we did. He was a great singer, Eddie, and he took over Steve Aldo and Fix in Liverpool. And Steve Aldo was a very, very popular singer. Eddie had hard act to follow, but he did a great job. And we asked him to join us on lead vocals. And uh, we said that the music would then be sent off to Wayne Biggers and Summer, which is on the second album. The next track by Focal Point has a connection with Eddie, doesn't it? Love is everything I need. Yeah, because um, this is a 1970s track where we recorded Strawberry Sound in Manchester. Uh, Eddie, at that point, had been working with a band called The Fix, a very, very popular band locally, and he's a great soul singer. And um, we asked him, would he come along and sing the lead on this particular song? Because Fogel Point kept going, although we, we are associated with the 60s. Fogel Point was going in the 70s and the 80s. And, and today, in the 70s, we were coming out with some, I thought, pretty good stuff. And this particular track, uh, musicians just played their heart, sold out. Everybody really enjoyed what they were doing. I think we nailed it about two takes, and it's a great, spontaneous track. Eddie singing. <laughs>
And we've now got another track from the Liverpool Yacht in my solo album that was released about four years ago on Kissing Spell. And understand it's one of the more recent tracks that you recorded, but it's just as strong as any of the other material. Well, for me, it was, um, I know it's Paul's favourite song of all the songs he written. He loves this one the best. And it was to there'll be Tim and I worked on it. The song was there, he had it already, and it's now played Liverpool's football matches. The moment we first heard it, you it was just it should be a hit. So that's it for the Focal Point podcast and a big thank you to Dave and Tim from the band to take the time out to uh, talk to us on location in Liverpool, so to speak. And guys, if you you can say bye to the listeners. Bye. Yeah. Goodbye, listeners. But particular thank you, Jason, to yourself for keeping the name Pokemon going. I really couldn't have imagined back in 67 that here we are in 2011 and we'll still be uh, talking about the band. So big thank you. Yeah.
for listening to the strange brew podcast if you do like the show please consider a small donation to help keep the show archive online it's 10 years since i started the podcast and hosting fees are increasing over time all your support keeps the show running and helps me get amazing guests to support me just go to the strangebrew.co.uk where you'll see a donate button on the homepage. thank you very much Plus, any reviews on your podcast services help to spread the word too. Thank you.